the Beatles. Rehearsing, recording, rapping, relaxing, philosophizing, creating. The Beatles, live in a new motion picture. Let it be. When they was fab, I'm Ed Chin. And I'm John Stone. Well, we're drawing ever closer to Peter Jackson's Get Back. It seems like it's right there. Yeah, well, I mean, this week we got a couple things. Uh, one which leaves me with a couple of questions, uh, and one which I am wholeheartedly behind. Uh, the first is the I've Got a Feeling clip which came out. Right. Is this one called I've Got a Feeling? That's what George says at the end of it. But, uh, well, it, it starts with what is supposed to be a conversation between Paul, George, and John. But each of those three bits of film and the bits of audio were taken from different conversations. Well, two people should have bass and guitar. Maybe we should learn a few songs first. Great. Uh, yeah, with six hours, there's no way that he is going to go and Frankenstein conversations all the way through. But just even doing it here is a little bit like, well, uh, I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, they would be wherever we went. Then we should get a PA in after about two days when we know one and try it like that. Because that's the best bit. We should have a bass, a bass and guitar. Yeah. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, 
Well, no, two people should have bass and guitar. Oh, yeah. One. Because there was yeah. always the drag over, yeah. bass and drop out. Yeah. It's swapping. If you get the, uh, if you do, when they do well, the copy, you should leave the copy at, um, the copy they make with Mon Castle someday. And bring me back this one and the small mono remix, the rough remix. Well, I think, in, you know, in most um, trailers, you know, you have cut and paste. You're not, you're not going to get the movie or even much more than a few sentences sometimes. Is this a trailer? I mean, they're selling this two minutes as a clip. And I mean, you know, again, we're only talking about 30 seconds. Right. Less than that. Uh, it's just kind of, well, that's that's not really a conversation. <laughs> and if it's a clip, okay, here's, here's a minute and a half early into the film. The performance is fine, although, again, we pretty much know that it's Frankenstein in the same way that they did it on the Let It Be box set. You know, it's not one straight through performance of, of, of I've Got a Feeling. So so is it your fear that uh, they're going to do a lot of that in the film? Yeah, you know, the, the, they're just going to fly in things which might be extrapolated incorrectly. Okay, that's fair. Hopefully, Peter Jackson is taking all that into account to tell the story. You know, after seeing his last film, It Shall Not Grow Old, I kind of trust him with anything. Because ultimately, this is going back to Peter, and historical accuracy for him is is extremely important. There's some amazing things he did in, in that film. To make a single example, he talks about... One shot that was a really difficult one to do, which was very difficult to lip-read, was an officer giving a lecture to his troops the day before they go into battle. We worked out the regiment. We thought that they were the Bedfords. So we went into the archive for the Bedford Regiment, looked at June the 30th, the day before the Somme, looked at all the paperwork that's in the archive, and we came across a piece of paper with what's essentially a pep talk on it. It's just about 12 lines long, and it's, you know, the sort of pep talk you would give to your soldiers the day before they go into battles. And we wondered if this was what the guy was actually saying. So what I did is I recorded on my iPhone, I just read it out, two or three times at different speeds. And I gave that to Jabez, who was able to take my recording and just massage it around. And really the question was, is this what the guy's actually saying? And we were able to get my voice matching reasonably well to, to have enough confidence to say, yes, this is, this is absolutely what, what he's saying. If every man goes into the fight determined to get through whatever the local difficulties may be. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So the second thing we got... Uh... Actually, we're just coming off of it here, although it's a week ago for you folks. Uh, 60 Minutes did a, a really nice piece. The astonishingly intimate footage was recently extracted from a London vault and placed in the capable hands of filmmaker Peter Jackson. His resulting three-part documentary series, Get Back, drops Thanksgiving weekend on Disney+. It adds considerable light and joy to what was always considered to be the Beatles' darkest period. You might say Jackson took a sad song and, well, you know the rest. Yeah. And that was a teaser. So how about, how about changing around these two? And when you sing, don't you know it's going to last we sing, it's a love that has no plan. I'm in love for the first time. So give us some historical context here. Under what circumstances was this footage shot? They've lost what they loved as teenagers. They've lost being the four guys playing in a band. So they're going to record a new album with songs that only that, that they're only going to play live. Lots and lots of Peter Jackson, and he talks about 
getting invited by Apple down into the basement and how he had he extended one of his trips by several days just to start looking through the footage. Well, I think he's a fan. <laughs> <laughs> they just said, we've got it all. We've got um, 57 hours of footage. We've got 130 hours of audio. And then they said that they were thinking about making a documentary using the footage. We've probably only seen a fraction of the video, but the audio, we've got at least 90 plus hours yeah through the nagras and other sources i learned something this week that actually gives me pause and that is after george left john and paul and others were having lunch and kind of discussing it and michael lindsey hogg clandestinely placed a microphone on an adjoining table and recorded this conversation and through you know modern techniques you can, even though there are other people there talking, you can hear the conversation between John and Paul. What's always been said, and I've heard a little bit of it, is, is all you could hear on the original version was just the clinking of silverware and glassware. <laughs> right. But the conversation now is pretty audible. And I just wondered about just the concept of being recorded when you think you're having a private conversation. The video that we got looks really good, but I mean, we figured that would be the case. For me, it's strikingly good, clear and vibrant, and, and that's going to be a huge difference between the old Let It Be and this. Absolutely. And one of the things we're going to talk about today, we're kind of keeping the show in the Let It Be mode because, well, when you folks are getting this, this is the Monday before Thanksgiving, which shall forever be known to the world as the week that Get Back came out. <laughs> That's what people will remember. They'll remember other things, but at least in the Beatle world, we still remember 9909. That's true. I really am looking forward to it. The footage of Linda and Yoko and Heather in the studio. I mean, we, we got a little bit of Heather in the studio from the, the original Let It Be, but you know, it all just looks so great. And just to see them there. Yeah. Clearly what Peter Jackson has seen is that the overall tone of it wasn't at all bad or angry there's times of tension there's always times of tension during the creation of something but that's not the overwhelming tone of these sessions there, there's a lot of fun in it well so that brings us to the original let it be the michael lindsey hogg film it's amazing how much he actually packed in a mere 80 minutes the original film was supposed to be longer and it was cut back back to where it once belonged it never would have flown at three plus hours. UA may have put out a two hour movie, but they weren't going to put Let It Be out with an intermission. Yeah, probably not. But that's a pretty short film. And to cut something from, say, three and a half hours to an hour and a half, you've lost two hours. That's a pretty significant chunk. What I will say here is we watch the film now, so you don't have to. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Although this is not going to be our full review. Hopefully we'll actually get the remastered Peter Jacksonized version of the original Get Back somewhere along the way. You know, the Beatles have promised that to us, and I really do hope we get it. Yeah. For all its faults, I actually have a greater appreciation for the finished film as it is. Well, for me, it's nostalgic. That's one of the reasons why they kind of have to do it. 
<laughs> right. This is the thing that came out. This is the to get back film is, you know, after 50 years of languishing and research. So it's not the same. This is what the Beatles put out in 1970. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, they haven't put the cartoons out, but the Beatles really weren't involved with the cartoons. Yeah, and didn't really like them. <laughs> so Exactly. What's different is this did ultimately have their approval. Yes. They've come close to releasing it several times since the original home video release. I know there was a, a point, and I think it was in July, when they watched the first cut of the film, which was quite long. That was actually the day of the moon landing, I believe. So they obviously gave their notes regarding the film. And at some point, the idea to cut it, and I wouldn't say cut it, they slashed it. They cut more than half of the film out. And so we get 16 minutes of Twickenham, we get 43 minutes in the Apple Studios, and then, then the rooftop is uh, trimmed down to 21 minutes. Ah. It's not too far off of the actual division of days between the... Of how it went, yeah. Yeah, probably the, the most obvious change around time-wise is he has the rooftop concert as being the last thing in reality it was next to the last thing yeah the the inside songs were after that but he he uses the concert as being the crowning jewel which works in a theatrical sense well i mean that's what i'm saying he he does kind of manage to tell the story but they, the cops didn't come and shut down the long and winding road. <laughs> no, that this is true. So did they ever watch that version? Or was it all kind of broken down by then? They clearly eventually watched it. I mean, you know, John says he didn't see the finished cut until the following year when he was in San Francisco. Right. That's weird that that would happen. This is a film that he was kind of making, certainly he had an interest in it, and to not see it until you see it in the theaters is kind of interesting to me. It's, it's a little bit strange, absolutely. But, I mean, of course, John was off all over the world and then into Primal and Plastic on Oban. He may just not have had the time, well, between that and getting off of heroin. Yeah, getting off of heroin and breaking down. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> I do believe Paul has, has commented on seeing the final cut at the time. You mean at the premiere? Uh, I think even before the premiere. I think I think he said he'd actually seen the final cut, but uh, yeah. Michael Lindsay Hogg certainly worked closest with Paul at that point in time, before he just went off to Scotland. The film, to me, is, is pretty slashed, and the narrative is hurt because of it. Well, there is no narrative. I mean, the closest you get to a narrative is, you know, you got multiple versions of two of us, through the course of the film, you know, you, you got the early version, you got the joking around version, you got them getting close, and then you got them doing it on the rooftop. So It was kind of known as the Get Back Project, and Get Back as a single had come out before the movie was released. One of the shots that was in the 60 Minutes this evening was Paul sitting and playing, composing the melody to Get Back. Yeah, that, that was absolutely amazing because you get the sense of what it's like to be in a room with them, which is such a privilege for all of us. Despite those cracks, the Beatles' alchemy remains potent. 
At one point, we have footage of Paul McCartney sort of strumming on it on his bass, which he uses as a guitar half the time. Just sort of strumming. I think it's early in the morning, and they're waiting for John to hasn't arrived yet. He's just biding some time. He slowly finds the tune. So you see this song kind of just be plucked out of thin air. He's not even half and like a guitar. Exactly. And George is there kind of figured out, and, and Ringo already had the little lope that he plays on the drums. Why did that not make the original film? <laughs> we'll have to go back and listen to the Nagras and find that and see what was on top of it. Maybe they just didn't have a good enough recording of it. But it's clearly on camera. It's, it's, it's as good as anything else from Twickenham. So why you would kind of leave out that Genesis narrative if you're really talking about the creation of songs. Yeah, and, and in fact, I mean, one of the things that has come up several times over the last few weeks is Michael Lindsay Hogg's editing of the songs. It's just generally weird. He just fragments everything. So musically, there's no satisfaction, <laughs> very little. Even though we do see this in chronological order really when they sit and talk it just brings the film to a grinding halt because they're not talking about the project for the most part they're not talking about where they're moving forward with the songwriting they're just talking yeah you know they do talk about we've been very negative since mr epstein died and they do talk about some stuff which is interesting but there's a whole section of the film where Paul is recounting home movies from the Maharishi. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything in this film? And, and so, like you say, we're, we're not going to do a point-by-point point deep dive into the film, but we did sort of pick five moments, either good or bad. And, and that's one of my moments is it's interesting to hear Paul talking about the Maharishi. And, and he tells that story in almost the exact same way he'll tell it in Anthology 25 years later. Right. John, you said that you thought he'd slip you the answer when you went up in the helicopter. Well, okay. Yeah. And it's great that we've now sort of seen that footage and understand what he's talking about. But what does that have to do with let it be or get back? Of all the things that obviously were cut out, to put that in is like, that's weird, you know. Uh, unless there is a, a certain tone that John takes while Paul is recounting this story, which is almost mocking. But not really. I mean, you know, he, <laughs> he kind of gets what Paul is telling him. Yeah, there's some shared experiences, but there's that whole thing where John just goes, <sighs> you know. <laughs> well, the, the, this is true. And, and the fact that Michael Lindsay Hogg chose to put the, the dig a pygmy comment before that, it's like, how do these pieces go together? Yeah, almost makes you wonder, you know, what came first. Was it on the record and therefore he kept it in the film or was it in the film and it got put on the record at neither time is that part where it should be. <laughs> it's not where it should be in the film, but it's not where it should be in the, in the soundtrack. That's one of my negative moments in the film. It, the whole Twickenham section is, you know, there's a couple of good moments, but it is pretty dour. Yeah. Although one of my personal favorite scenes is the uptempo two of us. I mean, because it's fun and it should be there. I like the fact that it's there. And then the final version is there. Well, I mean, that's kind of the only through line that Michael Lindsay Hogg keeps. 
you know, we get several different versions of two of us. And then here's the finished one. Great. Right. Starting at the top, Paul playing that piano piece and George and Ringo hanging around just looking miserable. That's not a way to start this film out. Well, that's the first day, right? But still. Okay, it's the first day after January 1st in the morning. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a completely new thing for them. I'm not surprised that Ringo in particular looks kind of like, I'm not awake yet. And then there's that weird cut. You know, you show them sad, then, they, then it shows them making faces, and then it's back to them being sad and sleepy. Yeah. I take the making of faces as them kind of mocking the whole mop top thing here's a camera all right smile (laughs) so my my second sort of negative moment what's with showing us george getting shocked with the microphones granted there is a history of beatles video where george gets shocked which is ironic since he was the one who actually had some electrical training (laughs) but still it's like do we really need a minute and a half of george grabbing these microphones and well let's try this let's try that maybe him getting shocked on a regular basis was well known amongst the group george always gets shocked in (laughs) fact it's in yellow submarine (laughs) the other one that we hear a lot about was uh, that dreadful day in cincinnati where it was pouring down rain and george reached out and got shocked off the microphone i don't think we have video of that but we certainly have audio of it yeah but still from the point of view of moving the story forward. It makes no sense to me. I will say that when they went through Maxwell's Silver Hammer, Mal doesn't seem to get the beat. <laughs> it's like, this is weird. And I like the fact that even Paul admits right here at the beginning, this is the corny one. This is the corny one, yeah. The others weren't tired of it yet. No, at that point, it might have just been part of this show they were going to put on. Maxwell Silver Hammer, and they're doing whistling and all this stuff. I don't know. The bit of across the universe we get is really kind of unnecessary. Right. It, it, the only reason why it's on the, the soundtrack is, is because of that piece. But that piece is not the song that's on the soundtrack. And it's really kind of pressing. It's slower. And, and John doesn't really remember how it goes. Yeah. And Paul is adding his ideas, but. It's not together at all. Wouldn't have been something I would pick necessarily. But we got Across the Universe on that album because of it. And in fact, you know, we got the little bits that are in the box set. And those are actually more interesting than what made the film. Yeah. Another thing that I've noticed in the film is that there are cuts in there that don't match what's being played. He'll just put in a piece with John, and John is clearly singing, but... John isn't singing on the film, and that is has always irritated me. Well, but I think Peter Jackson's going to be doing the same thing, at least to some extent. I haven't seen any of that yet. You had commented, why are there all these shots of cameramen? Well, <laughs> one of them is to cover up the fact that George is not saying what George is saying. <laughs> they flew in George as saying we should learn some songs, and you can certainly see George starting to say something, but... yeah. The octopus's garden bit, I really like that. Yeah. To see John uh, get behind the drums. George is teaching Ringo passing chords. The whole little thing with George Martin leaning on the piano and kind of listening in, and Paul walks in and is like, you know, what's going on kind of thing, and 
playing this new song and Ringo says, oh, it's terrible. And he says, oh, no, no, don't be like that. <laughs> Which also makes me think of, of, of Ringo's boogie-woogie piano bit. You know, I really like that. That's a lot of fun when yeah. Paul's playing and and Ringo comes up and starts in, in on the boogie-woogie thing. Morning, Paul. This made me think of the the very opening of the film when Paul is playing this piano piece, which some people call the Palace of the King of the Birds. And he plays it twice, once on organ and this on piano. And you see Ringo kind of watching. It's almost like you could hear him thinking, well, this ain't rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) The little loungy version of Long and Winding Road, that's fun. Yeah. Between really got a hold on me and the rock and roll medley, which Glenn Johns took. And don't you think that Susie Parker is more developed? It's almost there. It's just messing around with some lyrics. Why it not only got dropped, it never got picked back up again, even as a solo song. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they didn't really want to write a song about a prostitute. (laughs) I don't think that would have stopped John. Well, we're just writing songs about lesbians and prostitutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Two barrel boys. Anyway, yeah, I also thought, you know, listening to I Me Mine, it was very flamenco. Well, which goes along with the Spanish guitar break that we talked about. Yes. And I've read that uh, since it wasn't going to be used on the record as it was currently formed, George and uh, Derek Taylor. Uh, had decided they were going to write a musical about the whole wackiness of Apple. And they were going to call it, Hey Man. <laughs> we're still trying to get a film, Longest Cocktail Party. Yeah, yeah that would be great. And in the film, you can hear George say, you know, I don't care if you don't want to use it in your show. George was clearly getting fed up at that point. And really, we talk about John. Now, John is spaced out through a fair deal of what we get and let it be but george is still really the quiet one through the majority of the film yeah well maybe he was just trying to save up his anger (laughs) and in the context of the film the argument doesn't make much sense yeah i really 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 hope we get either in film from the nagras or from the the clandestine recording the see around the clubs comment yeah, it, it's weird that that's not on film. Why wouldn't it be? Maybe George picked a moment when the cameras were down to walk out, but the mic still probably would have been running. They just seem to be filming so much, though. I don't know. Maybe right before that, George says, turn the f- camera off. 
could um, be. And then, then the last comment I want to make on the original film, the rooftop is well presented. You know, that's what we've seen the most of, and those are the clips that come back around frequently. A really pretty good job was done with the editing and putting it together. Except, <laughs> where is Billy Preston? Well, even on his leads, they don't show him and get back or don't let me down. He's not there. It's like, wow, they put him on the record. The Beatles with Billy Preston. Billy seems to be mostly on the back camera. Well, he's slightly behind Paul. The majority of the new footage we've seen is is from the rear. And you do see Billy turning around and looking into that camera. Uh, and maybe they just chose not to use much of that. Well, I was just thinking, you know, that when you're watching it, and it clearly is the piano lead or keyboard lead, he's not filmed. There's nothing. And then the next song is I've Got a Feeling. And right in the middle of it, they put an interview with a guy on the street. Yeah. Like, wait. <laughs> Poor Billy. <laughs> that's just sort of some general thoughts we got from re-watching let it be i think we're i'm glad to sit down and look at it again and we'll have a lot more comments when we do finally get the good version of it somewhere down the line it was nice to watch i hadn't seen it in quite a while i'm really looking forward to get back and it'd be interesting to see what my my feelings about let it be will be after I've seen this other stuff. Because surely there are going to be times you're going to be like, how could he have left this out? (laughs) (laughs) I think Peter Jackson was exaggerating when he said he's going to repeat no shots. I mean, we already know that's not the case because there's only one camera filming them going into Apple. Right. And so, you know, that footage is definitely being reused. Is it? Well, in the 60 Minutes piece, they show John and Yoko going through the basement door And then in the other trailer, we see George going in through the front door, and that's all exactly the same footage. Right. And one other thing I did want to mention that we learned from the 60 Minutes piece, through the clips they show, there are definitely going to be titles put on screen telling you where we're at. You know, you get a date, you get a a song title, you know, maybe even a time, I would guess. Ah, so that'd be cool. You see that as markings that they've already put into the movie. Do you know what font they use? Well, we could figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I had to guess, they probably use the Let It Be font. But <laughs> That would make sense. So, all right. The other thing we wanted to talk about this week is kind of the between period, because there were a couple months after the end of Get Back and before Abbey Road started. They did some recording, and they were at least thinking about what they were going to do for the next project. There was a lot of stuff in not only their personal lives, but in Beetle World as well that really played a part in how it all ended. And you know what was really going on was right at the end of the Get Back sessions, was when John met with Alan Klein. And that meeting kind of drove the next couple of months, really. Uh, Apparently, we actually see the first real mention of Klein in the Get Back footage. Oh, that'll be delicious. Someone had commented on that, that his name comes up for the very first time towards the end of filming. I think that maybe the feeling about the Get Back sessions 
was colored by the weeks afterwards. I wouldn't disagree with you. The first thing which I hadn't even thought about, but I, you know, I guess the fact that I knew that they were doing some recording during this period. Yeah, Ringo was working on Magic Christian between February and April, but particularly for the month of February, he was free on nights and weekends. Right. So, you know, we questioned John and his, are we going to do the other seven or what? Maybe there could have been time to do that. Well, George went to the hospital for a week for a tonsillectomy, I think. So that kind of wiped some time out. Presenting the most irreverent, irrelevant father and son team since the Frankensteins. If you've seen the film, you know, Ringo's role is only heavy for about half the film. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read, you know, there was a, like one day he they went out to do the, the grouse hunting scene and some other location that they shot at. But most of it was at the studio. At Twickenham. So, yeah, he was off you know, weekends and in the, in the evenings for the most part, although the evenings could be late evening. But, you know, he couldn't do like the old late night sessions very often through this because he had to be up and filming. There were indeed a couple of Beatles sessions towards the latter part of February after George got back from his uh, tonsillectomy. Yeah, they recorded uh, I Want You. That's on the 22nd of February. We know that. That's that's when they started putting down the tracks. Billy was there, Glenn Johns was there, and George Martin was there. Somewhere around there, we don't have an exact date, they did a Don't Let Me Down session. We had photos of it in the Get Back book, and we know that it's not anywhere during January because the facial hair doesn't match up. Right. There's a mysterious session in there somewhere. Yeah, most people place it around the 20th of February. Ringo, he was at the premiere of his movie, Candy. His movie. Well, the movie he was in. We won't go into Manuel the Mexican Gardener. Yes. Well, you know. <laughs> right. But another thing that, you know, happened, it, there was just a lot of stuff on the business scene. This month is when Paul forms, I think it was called Atagross Limited, and that will eventually become MPL. He was making moves to have his business be his. He and John had basically already decided to, to bust up the songwriting credit. And, you know, he, he, I guess he's really just sort of following in George's lead. George had pulled out his songwriting. Paul saying, I can do that as well. Right. Although, I, you know, Paul was contracted to McLean. Yeah, that's true. And, and would be for a while. It was just a first step for him to protect his interests, let's say. In the next couple of days, well, Paul would get married. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he was already thinking, that's the way around it. <laughs> Paul and Linda McCartney. Could be. Right at the first of March. He produced Goodbye for Barry Hopkins. That's a great single. And at the same time, John was performing. On the second, he did the Cambridge 1969. Calling it a concert is slightly generous, but... <laughs> right. Uh, it was a performance, and, and it did come out. It was the whole second side of Life with the Lions. I think so, yeah. And then in mid-March, Paul and George played on Jackie Lomax's Thumbing a Ride, which Paul was producing. Also, Billy yeah. Preston played on that. It's interesting that Paul and George were really sort of still hanging out together and playing together. You know, we think that, oh, there was all this trouble going on between them, that they weren't happy with each other. And, you know, it's still, you want to come along to the session? Sure. I don't think Paul, he was angry at anybody. He wanted the band to keep going. That's where his conflict was. 
Yeah, but it would get worse, but George was not a fan of Paul McCartney at that time. I don't think it was reciprocal. I think Paul had a view that would have easily included George. George just had a resentment. And he's still six months older than I am. (laughs) Still will be. And so they did that, and the next day Paul thinks, hey, let's get married. Paul actually marries Linda. George was invited to the wedding, but circumstances kept him from it. Yeah, they got busted. As George says, they they decided to bring their own. Because <laughs> he says, I'm very meticulous. I have, you know, my shoes in the, in the closet. They go there. And my, my pot goes there. Goes in the pot box. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's not where they found it. So <laughs> I like the description in an anthology. George pointed to a piece that was this big and it's a little square. <laughs> but they found another one in the boot that was this big. <laughs> and he's right. you know, holding up both his hands. To show you how weird things are, after the ceremony, Paul goes back to the studio that night to continue to work on Jackie Lomax's single. Which slightly puts a lie to his, he and Linda never spent an evening apart because Linda was at home and we know that Paul didn't return until fairly early in the morning. Right. I do know that shortly after that, that Paul and Linda and Heather... They took off for America. For New York for about three weeks. So Then a week later, John had actually been trying to marry Yoko for a little while, as described in the Ballad of John and Yoko. But the, the actual date that ended up happening is the 20th of March. Right. Very well documented. Then they flew off to Amsterdam and they had their bed in. Oh, and, and one thing, just briefly going back to let it, we were talking about uh, the, the black bag conversation. There's another black bag conversation in the film where Paul actually mentions that John will be off in a black bag in a little while. Yeah, as it was being discussed. Maybe John tried to talk them all into doing it. And that actually would have been kind of interesting how that ended up happening. Yeah, so they were off and doing their stuff. This is the period of time when John and Yoko was burning bright with the bed-ins, and they'll soon do give peace a chance. I mean, it was... And I think right around this time, they sent out acorns. After they returned to London, that was when they sent out the acorns. I was just thinking about, you know, I've got a oak tree out front and, you know, eBay. <laughs> <laughs> then we, uh, we move on to April after Paul and John return. Get Back was released as a single on the 11th of April in the UK. This is right at the point where the... The fight over NEMS, basically, was going on. They were putting up shares from their companies in order to buy uh, the interest in NEMS. And it was at this point that uh, John discovered that Paul had bought extra shares along the way. And it really bothered him. McCartney had a... You know, it was reported that he said, uh, "Well, you know, I had some beanies and I and I wanted some more." Well, and and that would in fact be an issue all the way through. I mean that that was why Paul didn't attend the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction was not this instance, but a a similar instance where it's like, well, uh, he had negotiated extra shares out of capital. Yeah. Yoko and George and Ringo were like, no, that's not right. Not how this has ever worked, for sure. That is also coloring kind of what's going on with this in the background. 
John is going to write the Ballad of John and Yoko and ask Paul to record it with him. At this point, they really were having issues with each other, business issues with each other. Very much. And when you consider on April 2nd, they find out. And on April 14th, they were recording this song. Yeah, I, I would like to know what that conversation was actually like. I mean, yeah. you know, Paul tells the the clean version, the, oh, well, I was at home and John rang me up and said, we got to record this thing now. And, and maybe that was, that's the kind of guy John was, instant karma and all that. Right. But unfortunately, Michael Lindsay Hogg wasn't there to play on a microphone somewhere <laughs> to bug their phone. And, and when asked whether he cared, George responded, I don't care. It's not the ballad of John and Yoko and George. <laughs> right. So there were, you know, several sessions. Throughout the month of April, uh, there, there's another overdub session for I Want You. Right. And it, it really seems to be taking shape by that point, I think. Yeah, I think so too. What came next was the recording starts for Oh Darling and we'll work on I Want You. An old brown shoe. But it was on this day that Paul officially refused to add whatever shares he held into the attempt to get the publishing or their, their control. So he completely removed himself from that effort. That, here, there was another issue. And then I think shortly after that, John changed his name. Uh, yeah, although it turns out in Britain you cannot remove a name. So it was not John Ono Lennon, but John Winston Ono Lennon. And there were not nine O's between him and Yoko. Oh, well. <laughs> he said he changed his name to get nine O's between them. And it's like, well, right. well it doesn't quite work. <laughs> well, if, if it works in your head, it worked for you. It's all conceptual. Under the sea, in an octopus's garden, in the shade. At the end of the month, they did Octopus's Garden, and then they worked on You Know My Name. <laughs> but they were hanging around, and they were doing this recording. We don't really know where they were thinking these recordings were going to go to. Yeah. I mean, Abbey Road really kind of wasn't an idea, but... While we say that they weren't thinking about them for Get Back, were they? At one time, they were planning on having these songs. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, the end of April of 1969, what was their thought on this material they were recording? Right. I just don't believe they were thinking of the next record like it became. The songs that they were recording were songs that they had worked on during the Get Back sessions. Through the Get Back sessions. But yeah. They were doing overdubs. They were putting extra instruments and vocals on them. So it was not of the Get Back project. You know my yeah. name, look up the numbers. Certainly not something that would have fit in the Get Back project. That wouldn't, I, I don't know. I, I want you, well, they did just 30 seconds of it up on the roof. I want you is a concept. It could have fit. There's no orchestration in it. There's a live feel to it. Particularly if you take the Moog and the white noise off, which right. you, know, you, you put an organ part in there. And in fact, the early versions that we get in the Abbey Road box very much could be played live. Right. Well, and the Moog didn't come in until late in the session. Yeah. At that point, 
I think we decided that Abbey Road actually started in July. Yeah, basically. When John had his accident, which is what would cause Yoko to end up in the bed in the studio. Right. That, to my mind, is basically the start of the Abbey Road sessions. It was during that hiatus, I think, that Paul either called up or just talked to George Martin and said, look, we're, we need to start the next project. Will you produce us like you used to? You put it in this context, it doesn't not make sense. Because he was already there working with them, even if Glenn Johns was still around. Yes. At the start of May, there were actually four recording sessions for something. They were at Olympic Studios. Yes. Really, the start of the Abbey Road sessions has to do with how often they began to book Abbey Road. I mean, they, at that point, they clearly were working on a project as opposed to a song now and then. You know, where are these songs going? You know, they clearly weren't thinking of them all as singles. No. There's an album coming, but what is this album? Or are we just sort of holding aside this material? You know, maybe we can mix it with what we've already got. One side of Get Back and one side of separate material, Todd Rundgren style. <laughs> right. It doesn't sound to me like they had a plan for anything for a while. It was all just kind of moving ahead, continuing to record, but filming was over as far as they were concerned. Yeah, of course, that's what John said. Was the, Well, we, we're going to do other songs, but we don't need to be filmed doing these other songs. Right. Rehearsing them and getting them up to speed. Maybe that's the whole idea. And I don't know. I mean, we don't have any documentation of that. And they've never commented on that. I mean, part of the reason they've never commented on that is, well, once something turns out in a certain way, that's the way it was. Yeah. Whatever else they were thinking, whatever else led up to it, it's really of very little interest to them. Yeah, I, I don't know. And looking at the time frame, they also begin, You Never Give Me Your Money, which in a way is the concept of what the side two medley was in in one song. It was It's like several songs stuck together. And, you know, what was going on at that time with the band was pretty John and George and Ringo signed with Alan Klein. That's on the 8th of May. Alistair Taylor was fired that day, you know, who had worked with them for since the beginning, before the beginning. And then apparently they had booked the ninth to, to continue working on something. Oh, something, I, yeah. I, I don't know if it was something the song or just some material, but... Well, they were working at Olympic. That would seem to indicate that they were still trying to get something nailed down, something the song. Yeah, or, or maybe more on You Ever Give Me Your Money, I, I don't know. Since it didn't happen, they had a big argument. That's the argument that we always hear about, you know. Uh, oh, he has to fly back to America and take it to his board. Right. Well, his board consists of him and his wife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Klein had convinced him that there was a time frame on all this. Or maybe that was the tactic that John used. I don't know. As is Paul's favorite thing. He was demanding 20%. I said, give him 10. Yeah. You know, we're a big act, the Beatles. Yeah. And, you know, and he was right, but they had a big fight. And so he ended up recording with Steve Miller. He went off and played drums and he is just attacking the drums. Uh, <laughs> on the My Dark Hour material sounds different than a lot of Paul's other. You know, normally he's a little bit fussy about his drum playing. <laughs> Yeah. And in here he's clearly working his frustrations out in the session. <laughs> good song. Not you know, a huge fan, but it's a good song. It's not a Beatles song, and I mean <laughs> Paul is still he's a unique drummer. Yeah. You know, he you can certainly play the drums, but 
you have to have a song where it's appropriate. Yeah. We go through the rest of the month. We get Zapple. We get Life of the Lions and Electronic Sound. I didn't I didn't realize they were both released on the same day, the 26th of May. <laughs> the one day Zapple existed. I think I knew that. And then, then the end of the month, Ballad of Johnny Yoko gets released. That was a, a good single. I really liked Old Brown Shoe. And then they kind of decided to take a little time off. Maybe, you know, following all of the business with Klein, they, they needed a break. Yeah. Well, apparently Ringo and his wife were given tickets on the new Elizabeth the second. The QE2. Yeah. So he took off for New York free trip. Well, John and Yoko were on that boat for a little while, right? I mean, we actually see some of that footage in Magic Christian. Ringo. Yeah. What's happened to John and Yoko? Uh, John and Yoko are somewhere between here and uh, Weybridge, waiting for a message from America to say that they can arrive. The, I, I was talking to the American consul this morning, and he said they haven't been given a visa yet. They've because... been given a visa by word of mouth, but they need the guy with the good hand to stamp it. Yeah. I gather the rule is that if a person's got a drug conviction, they've got to have a very special reason for getting into the States. Yeah, they're automatically banned for a year, I think. Yeah. So it's just you and Paul that's allowed in at the moment. Yeah. His visa was rejected because of his bust. So. Yeah, he, he wasn't allowed into the States, but he was actually on the QE2 with Ringo and Maureen for a little bit, he and Yoko. Because we see them boarding in Magic Christian. Yeah. I guess Magic Christian was released toward the end of the year. So that would have just been sort of a pickup shot. She watched all the celebrities boarding the QE2, and we can use this in the film. Yeah, it came out, I think, in January of 70 was when all the publicity for it was. Principal photography had been done, but they certainly could have been, you know, doing some pickup shots because that that was absolutely when that happened. Yes. Then they already knew that they were going to cut to, uh, well, the topless women down below with the oars and such. Smash cut to the galley. <laughs> and another thing about Let It Be, those wipes are just so cheesy. Michael Lindsay Hogg and, you know, the right to left wipes, it's like... Yeah, that looks like something that someone would have done in uh, film school. Uh, <laughs> film school at the time or, or nowadays, iMovie. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, gee, how am I going to put these two? I know, I'll do a wipe cut. There's yeah. a button. Do a black wipe cut, and that's exactly what he did. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I think most of June were vacations, you know. For each of them, yeah. Ringo was in the Bahamas. John went to the Bahamas first, then up to Montreal for the bed-ins, and I think... Paul went to Corfu, I think. We spoke a little bit about that before, that other than their trip back to the U.S. to visit her family, that was effectively their honeymoon. Yeah, right. So it was all vacations. Then John came back, and John changed cars during his trip to Scotland, and, well, John Lennon being John Lennon, the terrible driver, had an accident on July the 1st. Yeah, and they were hurt. Pretty badly. Uh, it's fortunate the kids got out of it as well as they did. Yeah. Pictures but, of the car is pretty like, wow, they hit hard. And they probably weren't wearing seatbelts. And the car ended up being turned into an art piece. <laughs> they right. smashed it into a cube, and the cube actually lived at Tittenhurst for a pretty significant period of time through when Ringo lived there. A little bit maudlin, but, well, this is John Lennon after all. Question is, where is that now? It might have not made the transition when the Sheik bought the property. A lot of stuff from the grounds in the studio just got destroyed after Ringo sold it off. It may still be out there somewhere. I mean, someone may have picked it off the grounds. Again, it's the whole vehicle, so that's 
at least several hundred pounds worth of metal. Yeah. You would think that somebody would go, well, it's a piece of art. Well, what kind of art is it? It's John and Yoko's rented vehicle (laughs) that they crashed in. That period of time, while they knew that John would be recuperating, was really when it would seem that they called up George Martin and that they started in seriousness booking studio time and saying, okay, we're going to do one more record like we used to do. This has now been six months since the Get Back Sessions. We don't know when those are going to come out, if those are going to come out. They may just all be left behind, right? Uh, which which is not, not unusual. I mean, the, the Stones had let Rock and Roll Circus. Yeah, languish for decades. While it would have been unusual for a Beatles project to end that way, it certainly could have ended that way. That's kind of why we picked John's accident as the starting date for the Abbey Road Sessions, because that's when things move from just sort of recording some songs to actually taking it into the next project so that's where we're at today for you guys is the monday before thanksgiving we're looking forward to thursday friday and saturday yes absolutely we're going to try and get something together for next monday at least some impressions and then then we will get some other folks with us as we go through the film in significant detail good plan yeah i think we're, we're probably going to be running on get back at least through the end of the year sounds great we'll do the christmas album at christmas right <laughs> well we could <laughs> okay although we're not getting the christmas album uh we already got the singles what that was two years ago three years ago all of this runs together yeah it's a long history i wasn't going to but i did end up buying that box yeah I haven't played it, but I did end up buying it. (laughs) I got a digital rip of it as well. And it's like, so it is improved quality, but do I really need to actually put, put these singles on the record player and and see them start to (laughs) lose value and degrade? (laughs) But the box is nice. Is it original art? Yep. The original art. So anyway, that's still a month off, no matter where we are in time. <laughs> right. We will leave next year for next year, although actually probably at the end of the year we'll we'll do a we'll do a wrap up and boy are we gonna have a wrap up for this year. <laughs> you right. know, since since we got two years worth of material squeezed into a single year, one show kind of wrapping up everything that, that came out this year is a lot. True. All right, so we'll be back next week uh, when we start our deep dive into Peter Jackson's Get Back. We'll see you then. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at when they was fab and on gmail the opening theme was written produced and recorded by jay young kim beaster famine studios san francisco california He wasn't doing us any good. I mean, I think it's been proved now, you know, this guy's been in jail for tax evasion, fraud, and selling 
selling not for sale records. I mean, you peeled all the stickers off. You know, I mean, you believe that? But and he got five million dollars off us the first year he managed us, and he wanted more. And the other, the other, so it was all very crazy. And I was trying to just fight for us. And if there's a decision to be made, then like in any other business or group, you have a vote, you know. And he was outvoted three to one. And if he doesn't like it, it's really a pity, you know, because we're trying to do what's best for the Beatles as a group or best for Apple as a company. So there was an awful lot of funniness going on there and stuff, and it was very tough just to keep your head above water, honest. I mean, one of these days, if the story ever gets told about some of that insanity, I mean, you've seen that apple to the core. That's nothing compared to what really went down. I mean, it was incredible business stuff on the backs of menus and all sorts of deals were done. Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned out nice again. 